we've got a slide that's going to pop up. We are in the home stretch for our rescue series. If you were here for the beginning, you know, we've, we, Jamie and I have been joking about favorite movies that are, have a rescue theme. And so Star Wars, I think, is one of the great princess rescue movies of all time. So all the images are kind of connected to this idea of being rescued. And, and um, this has been an important series for us because we want to be a church that's rescue-minded and rescue-oriented wherever we go, right? So when you're just out in the world, that even when you've got stuff to do and, and tasks and you're focused, that something inside of you should always be prayerfully asking the question, God, is there an encounter that I'm supposed to have with someone today to have a God conversation with? So Vanessa and I were out Friday night at, at Lowe's and we've just moved into a new house and so we're shopping for light fixtures and our kids are old enough to be at home by themselves now, praise the Lord. Lord and so so we're just out it's kind of our date night at at, at Lowe's and and, uh, and and so we had two amazing conversations with two young ladies that were helping us in different departments and it's 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 as simple of when the when 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 you're done with the transaction of the business at hand it's just taking a minute to ask a question right so my question is hey would you mind if I give you a card to our church right it's respectful they can say no and that's okay if they do we've never you'd never have anybody right so they say absolutely and so we get to ask them if they have a church. If they have a church, then we get to talk to them about their experience at church. It's not about them coming here. It's about encouraging them in their own journey, their own experience. But oftentimes people say they don't, and we get to talk with them a little bit and invite them to the church. The second uh, girl that we had the conversation with, it's the second time that someone's given her reach card, right? It's my first time this summer in giving out all these reach cards that I, I got to be the person. They got, they got invited twice to church. She was like, I think somebody, is that church on Harpersville Road? I'm like, yes, it is. And so we just had these great great conversations. I, this is what this series has been all about. God is going to cross your path with the path of other people so that you can encourage them to take whatever their next step is in their journey with Christ. And so the, uh, the, the, the idea of this series, again, we, we're hitting this every week if you've been here, but this is for people that are new. Uh, Matthew 14, 22 through 32, we're not reading that today, but it's the story of, of uh, Peter trying to walk on water. It's when my situation is desperate and my efforts are failing and urgency surrounds me, I need to be rescued. And this story of Peter trying to walk on water is a picture of our spiritual condition. That before we make a vow of devotion to Christ, all of us are sinking in the sea of humanity and Jesus is the only one that can save us. John 9, 4 has been our life first. This sense of urgency that I see in Jesus should awaken me to the sense of urgency I should have about my condition. I was reading one morning this week in Romans chapter 13 and uh, I came across these verses that fit so along with our series. I just wanted to share them. This is verse 11. It says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. That's a powerful picture, isn't it? I remember when I was probably in high school in the house that, that I grew up in just outside of Richmond. And we grew up in the country. It's a little town called Verina. And, uh, and the, the main sewer line to our house was backed up. 
right? And, and so whenever that happens, you're praying to God that the problem is on the side of the line that the, the county's responsible for, right? And unfortunately, it was on the side that we're responsible for. So me and my dad spent the whole day. If you have never had the privilege to cleaning out a sewer line, right, you can imagine what that experience was like. And so we, you're just, yeah, you're dirty. Can we just say that? You're dirty. And so I remember at the end of the day, we got the whole problem fixed. And of course, you can imagine what's on our clothes. And so we're getting ready to come inside, and my mom meets us at the door and says, whoa, 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 you can take all those clothes off right here, right? We're like, come on, we're outside. She's like, we're in the country, nobody's going to see you, right? So strip down, all those clothes went into a bag, and they went into the trash can, right? And then you're going in to take a shower. That, that's the picture that Paul's saying to us, that on the inside, through the lives that we live, we just get dirty spiritually. And Paul's saying, just stop doing that to yourself. you got to take off those old clothes. you got to set aside those things that are not spiritually healthy for you. There's a new way to live. Clothe yourself with right living. And, and, and what Paul's saying here is, hey, time is short. Because all of us, we find ourselves living with this mindset, and I'll just do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until I was 23. It's my biggest regret in life that I lost those first 23 years of my life. And what we're saying to you today, if you're at a place where you're saying to yourself, I I'm just going to do it tomorrow, we're saying, no, you do it today. At some point, you're going to experience regret, lessen the regret by doing it sooner rather than later. And you might be here and you might be older and you might say, Fred, it's too late for me to change. It's never too late for you to change. I was telling the story last night of Vanessa's great-grandfather. He didn't make a decision for Christ until he was in his 70s, in his 70s. Now, he could have adopted the mindset and the mentality of God can't use me now, but God can use you no matter what your age, no matter what your circumstance. And he ended up in his 70s, was just resistant to God his whole life and he had this dramatic conversion to Christ and God ended up giving him this incredible healing ministry and he spent the last few years of his life in hospitals every day in northern New York praying for people and God miraculously healed them and, and just you know could he have done that when he was 20 sure could he have done it when he was sure but I'm telling you he marched into heaven after he breathed his last and I'm saying those last few years of his life would have felt like decades to him because they were so rich I'm just telling you don't wait to change, and if you have waited, it's never too late. It's never too late. All right, so let's, let's uh, we, we like a little participation here at the City Life Church. Come on, we like a little, so, so I know some of you, you have met famous people, and I've got a, a famous person encounter I'm going to tell you about this morning to get us thinking along the right direction today. So who's, you raise your hand, I'll point to you. Who's a famous person that you met? You don't have to tell the story, but who's a famous person? George. George? Really? Yep. Nice. Were you there to get a grill, or was it a boxing contest? Get out. Come on. George Foreman. I like it. I like it. Somebody else? George Foreman. That's a hard act to follow, right? Anybody else? Met a famous, anybody else met a famous person? Tom. Sugar Ray Leonard. Come on. It's a boxing theme today. It's a boxing theme. Somebody else. Really? Like you met him in person. Nice. Now see, everybody after church is going to find you. Tell me the breath. Somebody raised their hand last night and said they talked on the phone to Kevin Bacon. We are like... How is that possible, right? You, you've got Kevin Bacon's phone number. Share it, right? So who, somebody else. Anybody else met a famous person? Justin Timberlake's Timberlake. Justin Timberlake's nice. That's, that's great because she's the real, right? Every mom is the true story behind success. President Jimmy Carter, one of the great peacemakers of the world. Yeah. You guys are doing good. Somebody else. You? You met Chris House. Yeah, nice. Well played. Well played. Nice. That's awesome. When um, 
when, when my younger brother, my brother's uh, 11 years younger than I am, and when he was, uh, I think it was late middle school, early high school, he's a huge Duke basketball fan. I don't know why that is, because none of us in the, in the family are, but, but that's true to form for Nathaniel. He kind of does his own thing, and so he, he just became this huge fan of Duke basketball. So Co- Coach K was coming to Richmond uh, to, to speak. It was a sports forum. He was talking about leadership, and he was at the Virginia Landmark Theater, which is this big venue in downtown Richmond, and so I bought tickets and took Nathaniel to go see Coach K, and, uh, and so Nathaniel was excited. This is going to be my chance to get an autograph, right? I mean, Coach K is going to be here, and so they announced at the end that he's not going to be staying to sign autographs. We're like, booing, ah, boo, you know, that's terrible, right? All these people are here, and so, so I, had, I took jazz and tap when I was growing up, and, uh, and so we did a lot of our recitals at the Virginia Landmark Theater, so I told Nathaniel, hey, I know some of the back ways to get behind stage, some of the hallways. They've got stuff in the basement, so we went some of these back ways. Every place that we try, I know you guys are making fun of me, right? Because I, I know, I know, that's all right. I, I'm, I'm big, I can take it, and I also carry a gun, so be careful. So, 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 so the, the, so we, every, but every back hall we get to, there's a, there's a, there's a security guard standing there. Like, they had this place locked down, and so my brother was so disappointed. So I said, hey, Nathaniel, I bet he has a car waiting for him behind the building. And so I said, we're going to go out. We will park. There's, it's a one-way street that, that, that goes behind the Virginia. So when they leave, they can only go one way. So I said, we're going to park back there. We'll turn the lights off. And when they come out, we'll follow them because I bet he's staying at a hotel here in downtown Richmond. And so, so sure enough, we get parked. I think like, I feel like I'm in this movie, right? The lights are out. We're sitting there trying to look inconspicuous. And, and so sure enough, you see some people come out, an entourage. They get into this big stretch limousine. They pull out. And they're like, this is our chance. And so right, we pull out and I'm trying to think of every spy movie I've ever seen right how far back am I supposed to be don't get too close and maybe get in a different lane so it doesn't look like we're about so we follow them for about five minutes or so weaving all throughout the city of Richmond I think they're going to pull up in front of a hotel and then all of a sudden they duck into a parking garage so I pull up I'm thinking what are we going to do now so I tell them think get out go in the parking garage I mean you might get lucky they might just be parked on the first level or something just try so he jumps out of the car he runs into the parking garage which now in hindsight probably wasn't a good idea to send him in there by himself, but come on. So I go around the block, and by the time I come around, there's Nathaniel walking out of the parking garage with this picture of Coach K going like this with this huge smile on his face. So sure enough, he had a car that was parked in there, and his bodyguard, who was the, 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 the driver, is uh, dropping him off. Nathaniel said he runs in after him. The bodyguard, you see him make one of these moves like this, right? So it's like, if you keep coming, you're going to be staring at the wrong end of a Smith & Wesson. And so Nathaniel saw, and Coach K says, no, let him come. So sure enough, he's able to walk over. Coach K was so gracious, introduced himself. Nathaniel introduced himself. He goes in the limousine, gets out a picture, writes Nathaniel, writes a little note on it, gives it to him, right? And so Nathaniel still has this picture. He talked about meeting Coach K for years, right? Because he had, the, it was somebody that was important to him, and he now he has his fame story. Jesus was one of the most famous people in Israel 2,000 years ago. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to look at two stories side by side. A lot of people came to Jesus because they were just looking for a fame story. They were looking for Jesus because they just wanted to walk away and say, guess who I met today? And what you're going to find in these two stories, when we contrast them together, the encounter that you have with Jesus is often determined by the motivation that you bring to that moment. All right, so we're going to start, if you've got your Bible, you can start to turn to John 12, John 12. 
I find as a pastor, a, a lot of people will come into an environment like this and they leave frustrated because nothing happened, right? You, ever, you, you know people like that, or maybe that's your own journey. And, and what I find interesting is that other people could be in that same church service and that same setting and they leave talking about how God spoke to them and how it changed their life. And that can sometimes be frustrating to the person that feels just still leaving dry and empty and disconnected from God. And a lot of people walk away from those settings feel like God let them down. And what I want to suggest to you today humbly, that it might be that you've been waiting on God to do something in your life when God is actually waiting on you to come with a different reason. So here we go. John 12, verse 20. John 12, verse 20. Since some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, they said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Now, Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. All right, so you get in the story. So these people show up. They're thinking to themselves, we want to have a fame encounter. We want to be able to leave and say, hey, guess who we met today? So they know enough. We're going to try to get to one of the disciples. And so Philip says, I'm not sure. So he goes to Andrew. Because when you study, if you've never read the book 12 Ordinary Men, it's this great book that talks about the dynamics of the 12 disciples. There were really three groups of four, and, and they were like concentric circles. And so Philip understands, I need to get permission from Andrew. So Andrew and Philip, they go to Jesus, and they're trying to say, hey, there's some people here that want to see you. Now listen to what Jesus' reply is interesting. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me, because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled." It's interesting that there's other places in Scripture where Jesus is using this as a sermon, but right now this isn't a sermon. This is his response to Philip and Andrew, right? So I get the impression that here's, here's Philip and Andrew, and at the end of this little discourse, I think they're saying to Jesus, hey, we, we just came because these people wanted to talk to you. Are, are you going to meet them or not, right? And what Jesus is trying to say to them, hey, I'm getting ready to die for the sins of the world. And I think what Jesus is saying to them, I don't have time. I don't have time to just have a superficial interaction with people who really aren't interested in what I have to say to them. They just want a fame encounter. I like this picture of Darth Vader with his arms crossed because many people come into church settings and this is what they look like on the inside, right? On the outside, they look like they're glad to be there. But on the inside, they're shut off, they're closed off. They, they care nothing of who Jesus is and what he wants to say to them. And Jesus is saying to Philip and Andrew, and what he's doing, he's talking about the Greeks, who I think were probably close enough to over here. If you want to spend some time with me, understand the nature of this conversation is going to be about you laying your life down and giving yourself fully. I'm not here to just sign and autograph. I want to write something on your heart. There's some great books that have come out recently. One is by Kyle Eidelman. It's called Not a Fan. And this kind of picks up on our theme this morning of these Greeks who came to Jesus. That uh, 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 David Platt has one who wrote the Radical series. He's got a, a new book out called Follow Me. And this idea of challenging the status quo of the church today. Are we, are we in it for the right reasons? Are we truly sold out for Jesus? When you get to John 60 and verses 60 through 61, let's look at that together. 
60 through 61. Many of his disciples said, this is hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Now he's just finished giving a, a teaching and a sermon where he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now we know the end of the story and now we've connected that to the Passover. We've got the Pauline epistles to help us try to figure that out. But you've got to remember 2,000 years ago, people are hearing this for the first time. They're walking away going, okay, that's a little bit odd. I mean, we, we, we thought this spiritual leader was a little bit different. But now he's talking about things that just, the, 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 this, this doesn't seem right to me. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, are you too offended by this? And so then he goes on to talk about it. And what I find interesting is that when you get to 65 to 69, listen to what it's says when you get to 65 then Jesus says that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the father gives them to me and it says at this point many of the disciples turned away and deserted him I find it interesting they didn't walk away when he was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood they didn't choose to walk away until after Jesus makes a pretty big statement so let me let me just let me let me do it in a way that might help you understand let's say you're a young man and you're interested in a young lady and maybe you think, I, I really want to spend the rest of my life with her. I, I think this is the person that, that, that I want to marry. And so you go to this young lady. You declare your love for her. You, you, you tell her all the things that a young man tells a young lady. And, and, then, and then at the end of that conversation, you say to the young lady, but I want you to know that you're not really, really to, ready to love me yet. And so I, I will let you know when you're ready to love me, and then you, then you walk away, right? So if you were to do that, that would be the end of your relationship, right? I mean, can we, can we just agree to that, right? Because she's saying, hey, you're not going to control me like that, right? And so these people are coming to Jesus, and Jesus is saying to them, God is the only one that can determine when you're ready to truly love me. And, and, and when God chooses to open your heart to love me, then that's the moment that you can gain a discipleship relationship. And I think people are saying, I don't want to be controlled by God that way, right? You're with me? Because I mean, in our humanity, we want to make our own decisions. We want to do it ourselves. And Jesus is saying to the world, if you're going to have a relationship with me, you've got to understand that God is going to govern your life. That you've got to be willing to come with such an open heart that says, God, I understand that I've got to completely surrender to you in every way. I'm going to lay my life down completely, and I realize that I'm nothing apart from you. And in our humanity, we don't like to think that way. We don't like to feel that way. We like to be in control. We like to do what we want to do, when we want to do it. And Jesus is saying to the world, you've got to be willing to set all that aside if you're going to walk with me. And so it's in this moment that people, they walk away because they understand that Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And to be a follower means that you've got to let the one that you're following dictate the terms of your relationship. Now that's unhealthy in people-to-people relationships, but that's the only way the relationship works with Jesus. And so when we turn to the story of Nicodemus, we find a completely different outcome. That's why I like comparing these stories together. Because, because it's interesting to me the Bible does not say that when those people left, Jesus chased after them, right? It doesn't say that Jesus chased them down. Hey, where are you going? Hey, please don't leave. This story, like the Greeks, they left that day. I would imagine they left going, I don't know who this person thinks he is. We came to see him. He wouldn't even give us the time of day. There's nothing in the story where Jesus chases after them. And that might be part of your journey where you feel like God's not doing enough to reach you. And I think what God is saying to you, hey, until you're willing to come with, to me with a heart that says, God, whatever you want to do with my life, 
what, 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 whatever you want to do with my life, I realize I can't do it on my own anymore. I'm telling you, when you come with that kind of motivation, when you come with that kind of heart, you will begin to hear God speak to you in ways that you never had before, and that's what happened to Nicodemus. So let's turn to John chapter 3. So you've got two completely different outcomes with similar beginnings of people coming to see Jesus. And Nicodemus has this incredible conversation. The Greeks didn't even get the time of day. And I think it has everything to do with how they came and the condition of their heart in the moment. John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee. Now, you'll see that in the Bible all the time, talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You can think of them like denominations. They were all Jewish, but they had different beliefs about different things. Like, for example, the Sadducees did not believe in any afterlife. They believed that, that this was the only life. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed in an afterlife. And so even here in, in Judaism, you find that there's just different beliefs that lead to different denominations, just like we have today. And it says, after dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, a lot of people have always taught this story that the reason why he came after dark is because he was a little bit afraid. The reason why that he came after dark is because he didn't want other people to know that he was there. That, that could be it, but you know what? I'm going to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt because as you read throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see that Nicodemus, he took a stand at times. He, he took a public stand one time in the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. He was willing to be mocked and ridiculed. He's with Josephus after Jesus has died, where one of the people that were bold enough to come and say, hey, we want Jesus' body so we can prepare him. And so, so I don't think Nicodemus came at night because he was afraid of being seen. I think he came at night because he was sending Jesus a message. I think he came at night because he wanted Jesus to know, I'm not like one of those people who's coming to you so other people can see me with you. I'm not one of those people who's seeking an audience with you because I want to gain a false sense of importance by other people seeing me with you and say, oh, look at Nicodemus. He's got an audience with Jesus. I think he's coming at night because he wants Jesus to know, I'm not coming here because I want other people to see me. I'm coming here because I think you might be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And if you are, there's nothing that I'm not willing to do for you. And it's with that kind of heart there's an audience that's created with him and the Son of God. And Jesus sees it, he sees his heart, and he begins to have this amazing conversation with him. He says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me stop here. We're going to just stop as we work through this text. That, that when Jesus says here, I tell you the truth, that different translations render this different ways. And if you take it over to the King James, you'll see that it says, verily, verily, I say unto you. And maybe if you've grown up in the church, you might be familiar with that statement. And so this statement is very important, and it's very important that Jesus opens up his conversation with Nicodemus this way. Because if you turn to Deuteronomy 7, 9, Poke myself in the eye with my glasses. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Listen to this verse. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. Here it comes. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. In the Hebrew there where it says faithful God, it's the Hebrew word for Amon. It's one of the names that God gives himself. He says, I am the Amon El, which means that I'm the God, you can trust me. You can trust that I always have your best interest at heart. You can trust everything that I say to you is going to be true, right? God's saying to the, to the world, hey, I understand what I'm asking of you to let me be the sovereign of 
your life that you need to know that I'm perfect in all that I do and that everything that I do is with for your best interest. So he calls himself the great Amon El. And so when Jesus is opening up his conversation with Nicodemus, he says, Amon, Amon. Now Nicodemus understands what that is because he's a Pharisee, he's a rabbi, he's a Jewish leader. And in order for you to be a rabbi, in order to be a Jewish leader, at some point in his training, he, in order to pass, right? Remember tests in school, right? There's, there's things that you have to learn to, to pass. He would have had to have memorized from Genesis to Malachi verbatim, word for word. How many, how many people are rocking that, right? Are you kidding me, right? The entire Old Testament, he knows it backwards and forwards. He can tell you. You name a verse, he can give it to you. So when Jesus says, Aman, Aman, immediately Nicodemus is going to know about Deuteronomy 7, 9. And so he understands that Jesus is saying to him, I am the Amanel. Everything that I say to you, it is as if God is saying it to you. In the same way that you trust God, Nicodemus, you can trust me. I'm getting ready to ask some big things of you, but I want you to know that I am the sovereign creator of the universe. I am the son of the living God. He actually says to himself that these things that I'm saying to you, it is as though God himself is saying it. It's a great way to set up a conversation, isn't it? He's reminding Nicodemus, he's reminding Nicodemus, you've got to be all in if you're going to go on this journey with me. And so what he says to him is, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're, and, then, and let me just give you a side note too, that, that many people believe, and I'm of this camp, that, that our word amen in the English language is a transliteration of the word aman in the Greek, which comes from akman in the, in the Hebrew. And the reason why we end our prayer that way, it's our way of saying, God, I trust you. You with me? It's, it's the perfect way to end a prayer because it's our way of saying, God, I trust my whole life to you because I believe that you are the Amon El. All right, what do you mean? He exclaims, right? Because Nicodemus, like us, we try to understand spiritual things through the natural world. It says, what do you mean? Explained Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born both of water. That's speaking of the natural birth, right? There's a breaking of water before a baby comes. So right here he's talking about there is a natural birth. Yes, Nicodemus, the reason you're here is because you were born of water, but you also have to be born of the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to, to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. I love that Jesus uses the picture of birth to talk about what happens to us spiritually, because that is one of the most timeless illustrations that you can ever have, right? I mean, medicine has advanced, medical procedures have advanced, but women are giving birth to babies the same way they've been giving birth to babies from the beginning of time. When you go to other countries and you have a language barrier, you have cultural barriers, it's one of the challenges of doing missions work overseas. You've got to remember that we're coming from a Western culture and they're from a very different culture and the way that we understand things is very different from the way that they understand things, but when you begin to talk about a mother giving birth to a baby, it doesn't matter what country you're from, it doesn't matter what era you're in, people understand what that is and what's it look like. And I believe that one of the reasons why God created childbirth from the beginning to be like what it is, is because he wanted to create this beautiful picture of what's supposed to happen to us spiritually on the inside. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've not yet been born. That's hard for us to understand, right? Because we have been born and we're alive. We're interacting with the world. We have a pulse, right? We, 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 we can have contact with other people. And he's saying to Nicodemus, and maybe he's saying to you today, there's still a birth that you've not yet experienced. I like to call it being awake in the womb. He's saying to Nicodemus, you were born into this world. You broke forth from your mother's womb, but you, 
you entered into a spiritual womb. And from the day that you were born into this world, there's been labor pain surrounding your life waiting for you to take your first spiritual breath. If you've ever been in a, in a birthing room and had the privilege of, of seeing a baby being born, there's this moment where they take their first breath, right? There's this moment, because they've been getting their oxygen from amniotic fluid while they've been in their mother's womb. And so there's this moment where, where their, their lungs function outside of their mother for the first time. There's this moment where they... <gasps> They take in, I'm telling you, if you, it is the most amazing thing that you've ever seen. I've, got, I've been able to see that three times with all three of our children, and the third time was just as sacred and just as powerful as the first time. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and maybe saying you, to you today, have, have you taken your first spiritual breath? Have you, have you been birthed into God's family by way of making a vow of devotion to Christ? Because when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, there is a moment of conception where the Spirit of God is birthed inside of us, and we take our first spiritual breath, and we become a child of God. When you're born into this world, you're born into God's creation. But it's not until you make a vow of devotion to Christ are you born into his family. And he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you think that this life is something amazing, I'm telling you the greatest moment of your life has yet to come. Don't be surprised, he says, when I say to you, you must be born again. And listen to what he says here. I like how Jesus goes back to the natural world because he understands there's limits to human understanding and we can understand spiritual things by relating it to our natural world. So he's talked about birth and now he comes to nature. The wind blows wherever it wants just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I, I like this part of the text because Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus understand something important. Nicodemus has not come to be uh, the, the office of the rabbi without excelling intellectually. He's one of the greatest academics of his day in order to rise to that level. The academic rigors that you have to go through to be a rabbi 2,000 years ago was, was just overwhelming. And it filtered most people out. Most, it was, that's why there were only such a few people that could make it. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, hey, I understand that you're an intellectual man. I understand that you're an intelligent man. But I want you to know, if you wait until you figure it all out before you give yourself to the things I'm saying, you're never going to give yourself to the things that I'm saying because some of the things are always going to be a mystery to you. So what does he say to Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, you don't understand how the wind works. Like meteorological sciences, they weren't uh, as developed as they are now then. He's saying, hey, you, 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 your whole world relies on the wind. You get on a ship, the wind blows, it takes you place. You trust your life to this natural world even though you don't fully understand how this natural world works because in your heart, intuitively, you recognize that it's real even though you don't have intellectual understanding to support it. Does that make sense? So I'm the, I'm the project guy at our house and, uh, and so and, and, and project people like other people to be excited about what they're doing. Does that make sense? And we like to talk to people how we do it and how it works, right? And so, so I was putting up lights yesterday, and so and whenever I'm doing projects, I want to explain to Vanessa how it works and, and what it does. And so oftentimes she says, hey, I just want to know that when I hit the switch, it's going to work, right? She, she's not interested in how the wiring and the electricity works, which sometimes it's not good for her, right? So whenever she paints, I remind her when you take those outlets off, I say, hey, you know those little wires in there, right? There's electricity going through those, so you want to stay away from those. So, so you, you, you might be in different places in, in what you want to understand and how deep you want to go and knowledge and things that relate to this natural world. But, but all of us, to a degree, get to a place where we, our understanding intellectually stops. But in our heart, we know that it's true. We know that it's safe. And so we trust our life to it, right? 
probably nobody in here could fly a plane because you don't have the understanding in order to make that work. But probably all of us have been in here, have been on a plane, entrusted our life to something that in our heart we just know it works and we're okay with it. Jesus is saying, you've got to do that same thing with me. You, you've got to be willing to know in your heart that this stuff is real and tell your mind, one day I might understand more, but we're not going to ever understand it all the way. We think of the heart as only being a source of feeling, which is how we started out today talking about worship. But the heart also was created by God to give us the ability to discern. The heart was not just given to us to feel. It was given to us, we call it intuition. You can call it what you want. But the heart has the capacity to know when something is right and know when something is wrong. To know when something is true and to know when something is false. You, Many of you, myself included, have been in churches before. And on the outside it all looks okay. But something in our heart says this doesn't feel right. Maybe people have come up to you and approached you and want to pursue you to be a friend. And they're saying all the right things. Are you with me? But in your heart, as a parent... You better have a heart for your kids, right? To, to know that, that this person that wants to be my child's friend, I'm just something in my heart. You don't understand it, but you act on your heart because your heart is saying something to you. When you begin to explore faith in Christ, there is a place where you have to be willing to say, I'm not going to understand it, but in my heart, I think this person is the savior of the world and he has a plan for my life and even though the rest of the world might say that it's foolish because all of my questions haven't been answered in a spiritual relationship in a spiritual journey sometimes you've got to let your heart lead and let your mind stay behind and this is what he's saying to Nicodemus Nicodemus is saying how Nicodemus keeps going back to his understanding how are these things possible and then Jesus replied you're a respected Jewish teacher, and you can't even understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses, I love how he ends up here. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And so we're not going to read, uh, go here uh, for the sake of time this morning, but if you're a note taker, you want to write down Numbers 21, 4 through 8. Numbers 21, 4 through 8. He keeps going back to these things in the Old Testament because he knows Nicodemus is a student of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there was a moment where, 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 the, where the Jewish people were, were rebelling against God, and, and one of the plagues that God sent to punish them was were poisoned poisonous snakes, right? So how many of you are snake people in here, right? I mean, just, why? Snakes? And so the poisonous snakes are biting people. People are dying. And so God gives Moses instruction. You've got to make a, 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 a golden representation of a serpent, put it on the end of your staff, and then put the staff up. And then the people that have been bitten by snakes, if they come before this staff and look upon that snake, they'll be healed. And we read that and go, well, what is that about? That's just weird, right? And we have to remember that everything in the Old Testament is telling a story about the coming of Christ. And so Jesus points to this story to Nicodemus because he wants Nicodemus to understand that all of us 
have been poisoned by the sinfulness of humanity. And then when Jesus died on the cross and was lifted up before the world, the only way that we can be healed from the sinfulness of our heart is to look upon Christ, to give our heart to him, and in that moment, there's a healing that can come to us on the inside. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he's not down on the cross yet, but he's setting Nicodemus up. When you see me on the cross, the only healing that can come to the world is going to be through me. And here we build up to the great verse that so many people know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Verse 18 says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So so as we go back into this worship song, I'm just asking you to ask yourself a question. How have you come today? How have you come today? Have you come like the Greeks? Have, have you come like the, 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 the people that came to Jesus and, and, and Jesus turned away from them? Because maybe you've come and on the outside there's an outward appearance of being interested, but on the inside you're just, your arms are crossed and something inside of you is saying to Jesus, I don't want you to tell me that how I should live. Or you're going to be like Nicodemus. Are you going to be like Nicodemus and come into an environment in a setting like this with an open heart and an open mind and being willing to say, God, even though I might not understand all these things that you're talking to me about, I want to know in my heart whether or not they're true. I want to know in my heart whether or not they're real. And if you come to the conclusion that I did when I was 23 that Jesus really is the pathway into your future and in your way to heaven, that maybe those verses that we read in Romans 13 are going to speak to you today. That something inside of you is going to well up and rise up and say, you know what? I know that there's some things in my life that aren't right. I, I know that there's some, some, some deeds of, of living that are like, I keep putting on these old dirty clothes. And what Jesus says, you're better than that. You're better than those things that you're giving your life to. And if you're willing to lay those things down, I'm telling you, there is something else that I'm going to clothe you with that's called right living that we're going to talk about that in two weeks. God wants to teach us a different way to live. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for these, this journey and your word that you've led us on today, Father. We, we thank you for these stories in scripture that help us understand the reality of our circumstances. So God, as, as we step into this song, let it be that we're all just going to take our next place and next step in worshiping you. That, that, that in our worship, it, that we're going to experience it being the key, that it's going to open up the part of our heart that enables us to feel for you. And that Father, if we came today with big questions, that we're just going to set those things aside. We're going to discern and perceive and trust the intuition of our heart that you are real, that you are alive, and that you have a plan for our lives that you want to speak to us today. Let's worship together. Yeah. 
that I always enjoy watching is the Batman series. I'm a big Batman fan. And, and uh, you know, there's the, the one that came out that's one of the more recent ones with Bane, you know, the, one of the great bad guys in all the Batman Batman movies. But there's this scene where, you know, uh, uh, Batman is, 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 uh, is in this prison, right? And there's a pit, if you've seen this movie. And, and the only way that you can get out of this prison if you climb this rock wall that's, that's, that's straight up in the air. And so a lot of people try, and there's a, a rope that they tie around their waist in case they fall, that, that, that it will rescue them so they won't fall to their death. But when you get to the close to the top, there's this leap that you've got to make from this little rock platform. You've got to leap to the next rock that if you get to that one, then you can get out. The problem is, is that the rope that they use keeps them from being able to make the last leap. You with me? So the, the rope's not quite long enough so that if you leap with the rope, it's always gonna pull you before you can make the last grasp. And so they kind of set that up through all the times that he tries. And then you get to the climax moment of the movie where he takes the rope off, right? Because he knows that if I'm gonna make this leap, if I'm gonna get there, I've got to take the rope off. But if I miss, if I miss, right, you, you understand that the end is going to come. I think that's a powerful scene for us because all of us, we get to this place in our journey with Christ and, and, and we say, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can just go back to the way that I was living. If you come to Jesus like that, you're never going to make the final leap of faith where you can break free from the person that used to be and be all in with the person that Jesus is going to. Remember you were saying, well, does he make it? you got to rent the movie and watch it for yourself. I'm just telling you. All right, so Romans 12. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of what he has done for you. Let, let them be a living sacrifice. He's talking about our whole life, not just our physical body, but he's saying, let it be. A, a, a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. 
this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Father, I pray for anybody here today who's yet to make that big leap of faith. That they're just going to take off the rope of doubt today and they're just going to lay that thing aside and they're going to say, you know what, today I'm going to take the big leap. Today I'm just going to jump, I'm going to throw myself headlong into this life of following after Jesus. That, 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 that today I'm going to be all in. That I'm going to Romans 12 want it. That I'm going to offer my life as a living sacrifice. Father, I pray for everybody here who's never taken that step. May it be, Father, that today's going to be the day that they put their whole heart in. And then when they do that, God, we know that a conversation like you had with Nicodemus is going to begin with them, that they're going to be able to hear your voice with such great clarity. I love, God, how Paul wraps up this verse in Romans, that that's when we begin to know. That's when we begin to understand. That's when, God, when you become alive to us. Many a times we've been waiting on you, God, and what you say to us is, no, I've been waiting on you. I've just been waiting for you to open up your heart, and then you open up a whole new world for us. Let it be that people are going to find themselves in that world today. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.